Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Today's podcast is sponsored by Indeed. Indeed is the number one source for hires. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. And you can get started with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com Peter. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Well, today we had the highly anticipated FOMC decision on interest rates and then the now customary regular press conference with the Fed Chair Powell that always follows the official announcements. Now, first of all, not really too sure why there's so much anticipation with respect to these announcements because the Fed always says the same thing, right? The economy is great. Everything is going great. Labor market is strong. Inflation is contained. Yet, you know, we're not raising rates. We're not tapering our asset purchase program. Everything is great, but we're not going to remove any of the emergency monetary policy supports, right, that we implemented when everything was terrible. Even though everything is now great, we're still going to continue with these policies because even though it's not great, it's not perfect, right? Powell went out of his way to explain that even though the labor market is strong, it could get even stronger. And so we don't want to risk preventing the labor market from getting even stronger, right, by taking away all these supports. We don't want to taper too soon. We certainly don't want to raise interest rates too soon. You know, the initial interest rate increase is now officially referred to as liftoff, right? Because right now we're at zero, so we're like on ground level. And the very first rate hike where we go from zero to, I don't know, one quarter of 1%, that liftoff, right, is that move is now being described as liftoff. So we're going to lift off from zero to some very, very low number that is slightly above zero. 
But Powell goes out of his way repeatedly to reassure everybody that liftoff is far away, that they're not even thinking about liftoff, that it's not even appropriate to think about raising interest rates at this time. And when he discusses the criteria, he always points out that the criteria for liftoff is very different than the criteria for beginning the taper. Although when you actually hear the criteria, as far as I'm concerned, I can't even tell the difference because the criteria for the taper to me seems exactly the same as the criteria for liftoff. Because whenever he describes the criteria, it's always that the Fed has to be confident that it has achieved its goals. And those goals are full employment and inflation of 2%. And that seems to be the same goal for taper as it is for liftoff. But before I really get into that discussion, and those discussions came during the Q&A period, I want to talk a little bit more about one of the comments that he made during his prepared remarks. And again, that had to do with inflation and Powell's acknowledgement that the inflation rates have been elevated, but he blames it entirely on the supply chain bottlenecks. He talks about how those bottlenecks have pushed up the inflation rate and how those bottlenecks will potentially continue to make the inflation rate higher for a short period of time. I don't know, maybe a few more months. But nowhere in those prepared remarks, and of course, nowhere during the Q&A that followed, does the Federal Reserve ever accept any responsibility for those higher inflation numbers. So none of it is a function of monetary policy. It's got nothing to do with too much money. It's just not enough stuff. And that's all because of these supply chain bottlenecks that are obviously going to unclog and free up sometime soon. But Powell did mention that, of course, the Federal Reserve does have tools and it stands ready to use those tools if inflation actually does become a bigger problem than they think. And of course, that is the bluff, because if the Fed actually was willing to use the tools, it would have already used them. The fact that those tools are still buried in the shed someplace proves that they have no intention of using those tools, even if they can find them. But he also indicated in his statement that since there has been so much progress made to achieving the Fed's goals, that it would become appropriate, or it may become appropriate rather, to begin a gradual tapering process. So in other words, we're closer to beginning a gradual process process. Maybe. Soon is basically what he's saying. All sorts of conditional words. Maybe it will be appropriate. Well, maybe it won't be appropriate. We're going to begin, but it's going to be gradual. And how do they know? I mean, gradual doesn't even make any sense in the context of during the Q&A, Powell said that he believed that the taper would be finished by the end of next year because he has repeatedly said And he said again today that the liftoff in rates won't begin until after the taper is finished, meaning they have completely tapered 
QE down to zero, where the Fed is no longer buying any bonds. And in fact, Powell said himself in response to a question as to whether or not he would raise interest rates before they're finished tapering. And his response was that that policy wouldn't even make any sense because he acknowledged that as long as the Fed is buying bonds and doing QE, even if it's doing less of it as a result of a taper, that that still constitutes a expansionary monetary policy. And it makes no sense to have an expansionary and contractionary monetary policy simultaneously to cancel each other out because that's what you would have if you were still doing QE and raising rates. So he's saying that it makes no sense from a policy position to start raising rates until you've stopped doing QE. And in fact, if you listened to or looked at the dot plots and Powell's comments on those plots, there are some Fed officials that see the first rate hike coming in 2022, which would imply that the Fed completed the taper in 2022. If they all agree they're not gonna raise rates until the taper is completed, then how can anybody see the first rate hike in 2022 unless he also believes that the taper will have been completed and the Fed will no longer be doing QE some point in 2022, although most of the FOMC members don't actually see liftoff happening until 2023. But if you think about where we are now in 2021, we're already in September and the Fed is not tapering. And in fact, again, in response to questions about tapering and the timetable, Powell went out of his way again to claim that we haven't made the decision yet to taper, and we have no idea what the timetable is going to be, although he knows it's going to be gradual because he keeps saying that, but he was specifically asked, well, to define gradual, and he said, look, we don't know because we haven't even decided to taper yet, and so we don't even know what the pace is going to be, and it's already September, and what they're saying is they want to get more data. Powell said he wants to see the next jobs report, see how that is, and if the conditions are met for starting the taper, then the Fed will consider whether or not it should do it. And Powell actually said, if the conditions are met, we're going to look at the broader environment, see what's going on in the economy, probably the markets. He didn't actually say the market. He just said the broader environment. But clearly, that's what they're thinking about. And if the conditions are met and then everything else looks good, then maybe they'll consider starting the taper but they haven't even thought about how it's going to work, which to me, if they really were that close to tapering, they would have decided on a timetable, right? They would say, hey, this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, we're just going to implement it at some time, but they would already have decided on some type of framework. But according to Powell, they haven't even had those discussions yet. They're holding off on those discussions until they've already decided to taper. And they're not even going to make that decision until sometime in the future. And if that is the case, maybe the earliest, the earliest they may begin a taper, maybe would be December at the earliest, if what they're saying is true, although I doubt it would start that soon. But if the earliest they can actually start the taper is in December, and Powell repeatedly said that the taper is going to be a very gradual process, it's going to happen very slowly. Well, if it's going to be finished by the middle 
of 2022, then you're going to have to wrap the whole thing up in six months. Well, how is that slow? You're going from $120 billion a month and you're going to taper that to zero in six months? That would not be slow. That would be pretty rapid, especially considering the pace of the last taper. So to me, this just proves that the whole thing is show. They're not thinking about tapering. They're not doing any tapering because how could they say it's going to be a slow process, yet we're going to wrap the whole thing up in six months? That sounds like a pretty rapid process. And, you know, on the criteria, because he was asked again to define what substantial further progress means. And of course, there are two components. There's the inflation component, and then there's the employment component. And Powell actually admitted that as far as the inflation component is concerned, they pretty much think they've accomplished that goal, right? They're saying that they've achieved their goal of 2% inflation. And so that's no longer a problem, even though it's a huge problem because it's way above their goal. They're not really acknowledging that. They're kind of pretending that that's a victory, but they're still concerned about unemployment. And they say, we still don't have full employment. There's still a way to go. Although Powell admitted that there are some people on the FOMC that believe that the employment criteria has in fact already been met. But there are other members who think we still have a ways to go to meet the criteria. But here's what Powell said personally. He said, personally, the target for employment has all been met. Now, what the hell does that mean? It's all been met? I mean, that basically means it's met. Well, if it's met, well, then why aren't they tapering? I mean, all but met and met, there's not that much of a difference there. Maybe he's saying, okay, we're almost completely there. There's just, what, one more jobs report that we have to see? And then if that jobs report is okay, then it's met? I mean, to me, it's all a bunch of nonsense to say it's all but met and say somehow that's different than all met. So the reality to me seems to be that the Fed continues to bluff that it's got everything under control, that it's got inflation under control, that the employment situation is improving, and that they will eventually be able to end their asset purchase program, raise rates at some point in time, and everything is going to be fine. Now, there was one pretty insightful question that, of course, got a gobbledygook answer from Powell. Somebody actually asked Powell, what is the Fed going to do if inflation doesn't come back down the way you expect, if inflation stays high above target, but we don't get full employment. What are you going to do? Basically, what Powell would have to say to that if he was going to be honest is, well, then we're all screwed, right? I mean, that's when it all hits the fan. If that happens, we're done, right? But obviously, Powell can't say that. So he has to come up with an answer for that question. I mean, normally he just dodges a question like that. So at least we got an answer, even if it was a BS answer. So the first thing he said was he tried to kind of claim that, well, you know, there's no point in even entertaining that hypothetical problem because it's really never going to happen in the real world because according to Powell, we're not going to get a situation where we don't have full employment, but we have high inflation because Those two are inconsistent. They're opposites. You only get high inflation when you have full employment. So he still has this Phillips curve mindset that 
inflation is caused by too many people working. And as long as we have slack in the labor market, we don't have to worry about inflation. And again, that's one of the reasons that he's so quick to dismiss everything he's seeing in the economy with respects to inflation. Uh, and in fact, you know, we got more inflation news yesterday. Federal Express announced, I think, 6%, something like that, price hikes effective January of next year. There were some other ones that were coming into effect this year, but I think the bigger ones were coming in next year. They reported their margins were under pressure because of rising costs, labor costs, fuel costs, all sorts of costs going up across the board. FedEx was down 9% today, new 52-week low on that news. You know, the stock is down from a high of just under 320 to now 229. So a pretty big drop for FedEx. Their competitor, UPS, also announcing significant price increases. That stock only down about 2.3% on the day. But there is no indication that these price hikes that we saw from FedEx and UPS are not going to continue. I don't think this is the end of the price hikes. I think this is just the beginning of a series of price hikes But Powell dismisses it all as being transitory. And in fact, again, with another question that he got about inflation, another reason that Powell said he's not worried is he claims that all of the increases are concentrated in just a few items, just a few things that are completely the result of supply chain bottlenecks that are the result of the shutdown and then the reopening of the economy. And so if you don't count those few items, then there isn't even an inflation problem, which is completely ridiculous because it's not just a handful of items. He claimed that we're not seeing widespread indications of rising cost when that flies in the face of what people are actually seeing. Businesses are actually reporting widespread across the board, across all sector increases. And it's not that it's just concentrated in certain areas. Now, I will agree certain areas are experiencing much higher price increases than others. But even if you exclude those areas that have really big price increases, the rest of the economy is still experiencing price hikes well above the Fed's 2% target. So the idea that we're just concentrated in just a few sectors or a few prices that can be ignored, that's just another one of the Fed's lies. But getting back to the way Powell answered this question. So first, Powell said, well, it's impossible. We don't have to worry about having to deal with high inflation in a less than full employment environment because it's not going to happen. But he said that in the unlikely event that the Fed found itself with this dilemma, that what the Fed would then do is evaluate which of these problems was the more protracted or the more serious. Like, look at the inflation problem. Well, you know, how bad is it? How high above target is it? How long is it likely to stay there? And kind of think about the potential risks to the economy that that higher than inflation number represents, and then also do an analysis of the employment situation. Okay, the labor market is not full. What are the conditions there? How bad is that? How sustainable is that? You know, how important is trying to get more jobs into the economy 
how does that compare to the importance of bringing down the inflation rate? And he said, after the Fed evaluates the problems, then it will decide which one it needs to cure. So in other words, if the Fed looks at the employment situation and thinks, you know, we can't do anything to hurt employment, and if the Fed believes that fighting inflation is what hurts employment, and if it thinks unemployment is a bigger problem than inflation, then it will ignore the inflation and it will maintain the easy money policy until such time as full employment is achieved, which of course we know it's going to do because when it comes to fighting inflation or unemployment, the Fed is always going to choose to fight unemployment because it's not going to sacrifice the jobs of average Americans on an altar of inflation, at least from the Fed's perspective, because that's how it looks at it. And if, as I said before, one of the real drivers of unemployment is high inflation, and if the Fed doesn't get that, and if the Fed keeps looking at the rising unemployment rate or the failure of the economy to achieve full employment as a reason to allow inflation to get worse, then the unemployment problem gets worse and worse. And the Fed is reluctant to do anything about the inflation because it keeps seeing a higher unemployment rate, but it's actually being caused by the inflation that the Fed is neglecting and allowing to get bigger because it's afraid if it does anything about inflation, it will make the unemployment situation or the job situation weaker when in fact that's exactly what it's doing. So if you listen to Powell's answer, it's pretty clear. Right? The Fed is not going to do anything to fight inflation in a stagflationary environment because that's really the question. Right? If we get stagflation, what is the Fed going to do? The Fed's going to ignore inflation and it's going to try to work on the problems of the economy, which means we risk hyperinflation and the problems in the economy getting much, much worse. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. In times like these, no business can afford to pay for what they don't need. Only pay for the quality candidates that meet your must-have job requirements. Get Indeed. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, then hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all your hiring in just one place 
even the interviewing. Don't just hope your perfect candidate finds you. Find them using Indeed's hiring tools that help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post your sponsored job. Indeed Instant Match immediately delivers quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description. You can even invite them to apply right away. And according to Indeed data, candidates you invite are three times more likely to apply to your job than those who simply see it in a search. Plus with Instant Match, Indeed data shows 90% of employers get quality candidates from Indeed's resume database as soon as they sponsor a job post, according to Indeed data. And according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined. Join the more than 3 million businesses worldwide that already use Indeed to hire great talent fast. So get started right now with your $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com Peter. Get $75 credit at Indeed.com Peter. That's Indeed.com Peter. This offer is valid through September 30th Terms and conditions apply. In fact, also when it comes to inflation, somebody asked the question about the disparity between the public's perception and expectations of inflation and the experts, right? Because the experts are saying that, oh, it's all transitory, nothing to worry about. But the public, and I'm not just talking about consumers, but businesses, businesses are expecting the price increases to continue. After all, why else would Federal Express be raising prices? Why would UPS be raising prices if they were as confident as the Fed that all this was going to be over in a matter of months? They probably would be sticking it out. They wouldn't be raising prices. The reason they're doing it is because they know they are down in the trenches and they know that what we're seeing is not transitory. This is real. This is permanent and it's going to get worse. And a lot of other companies who have held the line on price hikes, they're now throwing in the towel on that and they're raising prices because they're convinced that what we are experiencing is not just a transitory bump in the road. This is a whole new path that we're now traveling and they're trying to prepare for it by raising prices. But consumers also, you look at these consumer expectation numbers and consumers are expecting much higher rates of inflation, right? And so Powell's asked, what do you do with that? Do you just ignore the consumer, the public, because they don't know what they're doing and just pay attention to the experts? Well, you know, the experts aren't paying attention to prices. The consumers are. I think in this case, the consumers are right to expect higher inflation. They're just wrong in that it's going to be even higher than what they expect. So they're still wrong, but they're not as wrong as the experts because they're going to miss the mark by an even wider range. But Powell basically said that, hey, you know, they're just probably wrong. But he did admit that the Fed is watching these consumer expectation numbers. And if their expectation ever became a big problem, the Fed would react, which of course is another lie because they already are a big problem and the Fed is ignoring it. And in fact, the Fed claimed that the expectations that consumers have are only for slightly above trend. And in fact, earlier in the press conference, he mentioned again, he said, well, no, in response to a question about higher inflation, 
He said, well, you know, yes, we're above target, but not by a lot. He said, you know, we're talking one or two tenths above target. And he said, that's such a small number. And he doesn't understand why households would be at all concerned if inflation ended up being one or two tenths higher than their 2% target, which if that were true, then yeah, consumers probably wouldn't really care if we were at 2.1 or 2.2. But the point of the matter is we're not just above target by one or two tenths. I mean, you're talking about triple their target rate, if not more. And consumers have a right to be concerned about a big increase in their cost of living. It's the Fed that is derelict in its duties in simply turning a blind eye to all this inflation and acting as if it's nothing. Now, again, why are they doing that? I think the only reason they're doing that is because they know the alternative is a financial crisis or a complete implosion of the economy. And so since they know they can't fight inflation, then they have to pretend that there's no inflation to fight. Otherwise, you know, it's game over. They can't admit that, yes, we have a lot of inflation, but we can't do anything about it. They always have to pretend that if inflation ever became a problem, they would do something about it, even though it's a problem right now. And the fact that they're not doing anything about it, the only way out of that is to pretend that there's no problem. And that's why they're not doing anything about it. Because of course, if it was a problem, we would do something. But since it's not, we don't have to, but we stand ready, right? But at some point in time, somebody is going to have to say, the emperor has no clothes here, that, wait a minute, It's a huge problem. The problem keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And you're standing there saying it's not a problem. Again, it's like, you know, you're the captain of a ship and the ship is sinking and you keep telling everybody everything is fine. You know, go back to bed. The ship is fine. And you keep saying it over and over again. But every time you say it, the passengers see that you're deeper and deeper in water until finally you're trying to say that everything is fine, but nobody can understand you because your mouth is full of water, because you're up to your nose in water, and you're still trying to tell everybody there's nothing to worry about, but they can't hear you because all I can do is see the bubbles coming up because you're underwater. And that's basically what Powell is saying. He's standing on the bridge of this sinking ship, and the water level keeps rising higher and higher every time he tells us, Oh, no, nothing to worry about. But don't worry. If I ever see a problem in this ship, we're going to do something about it. I mean, we have all the tools on board. If it ever becomes unseaworthy, if there's ever a leak that springs in here, don't worry. We're going to fix it right away. Yet he lets it sink deeper and deeper underwater. At some point, you got to realize that this guy's just lying. Now, also another thing to me, too, that seems like a lie, and the Fed repeats it often or Powell repeats it, is that we need to be moderately above 2%. And somehow that gives him cover so that anything above 2% somehow is defined as moderately. But the reason they're saying they want inflation to be moderately above 2% for some time, right? They're not quantifying how long, but the justification for the moderately above 2% is because we had so many years where inflation was lower than 2%. We need to have years where it's above 2% to make up for that. In other words, Because the consumer got a break and during some years, prices only went up by one and a half percent because he got lucky or I don't know, unlucky, depending on your perspective. But because in certain years in the past, prices only went up by one and a half percent. Now we need years in the future where they go up by two and a half percent to make up for 
the lower inflation. Now, how many American consumers really feel that that's a good deal, that they somehow missed out on not having their cost of living go up enough and the Fed is going to come to their rescue and say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, the Fed is here. I mean, we're fighting for you. And we know that a few years ago, your rent only went up by a certain amount. Your utility bill went up by a certain amount. And, you know, that wasn't quite enough. And so what we're going to do now is make sure that you get an even bigger increase in your rent, that your utility bills or your food bills go up even more so that you catch up because we don't want you to miss out on that 2% inflation. You got gypped off. You had a few years where inflation was only 1% or 2%. And, you know, that's not fair. We want to make up for that loss. And we want to make sure you get that 2% inflation every year. And so now you might have to have 25 or 3% inflation for a few years. And that'll catch you up and you can feel good, right? What nonsense. And the other reason you know it's a bunch of nonsense is what if we end up getting inflation that is so far above 2% And it persists there for several years. And what if then if you look back over a 10-year period or 20-year period, and it turns out that the average rate of inflation is now 3 or 4%. If the Fed is still committed to making sure that the average over time is 2%, well, how do you get the average back to 2% if your average is well above 2%? Well, there's only one way to do that, and that's to target inflation below 2%, right? So let's say you've averaged 3% inflation for the past 10 years. Well, in order to get a 20-year 2% average, you would have to have 1% inflation for 10 years. Well, is the Fed really going to target 1% inflation? Of course not. The initial justification for the 2% target was that the Fed said 1% was dangerous, that we didn't want to have inflation as low as 1%, because if it was that low, it might go to zero. It may go negative, and we can never have that. Like We can never let the cost of living go down, because that would be disaster, right? If somebody's cost of living fell, if it was cheaper uh, to buy food or send your kids to school or pay your electric bills, if all those costs went down, that would just destroy the economy. So we need to make sure they go up, and it's so important that they go up. We want to shoot for 2% just to have a buffer zone between the inflation and deflation because we don't want to cross that line into uh, the economic hell of uh, deflation. So we want to have a little insurance against deflation, and that's why we want 2%. But if you are going to let inflation run well above 2% and you're committed to keeping the average 2%, that means you have to also be willing to target a rate much lower than 2% to bring the average back down, which is something we know the Fed will never do. So this whole myth about a 2% average is all BS. The Fed is just saying that to justify higher inflation than 2%, but we're going to always have inflation above 2%. We're probably never going to get an inflation rate as low as 2% again, let alone something below that. Now, another question he got had to do with an inclusive monetary policy. And this had to do with one, I guess, that benefited all races and all genders, because somebody said that if you look at the Fed's so-called goal of what full employment is, when the economy reaches full employment, the unemployment rate for African-Americans would actually be 6.1%, which is still pretty high. And so the question was, would it be appropriate for the Fed to actually tighten policy 
when you still have 6.1% unemployment in that subset of the economy, that even though the overall economy was at full employment, if the African-American economy was not at full employment, would it be fair to that community to start raising rates even though that community hasn't reached full employment? Which, of course, is a ridiculous question to ask because the Fed can't micromanage the economy to that degree. And if the overall economy is already at full employment, it can't just keep the monetary spigots on, even under the Keynesian nonsense, to try to drive the African-American unemployment rate down to, let's say, 4.5%, because what would happen to the rest of the economy, right? In their vernacular, it would overheat. So you can't do that. But at least to his credit, Powell admitted that, look, we can't do anything about that. That if you want the gap between white and black unemployment narrowed, don't look to the Fed. You need to look towards the government, fiscal policy, monetary policy. Of course, there are things that can be done. Powell would never actually mention things because nobody wants to implement those things like getting rid of the minimum wage law and a lot of other things that nobody wants to talk about, but that are the real problem that are confronting this disparity between African-Americans and whites in this country. But it was a ridiculous question to be asked, number one, and at least Powell admitted that the Fed couldn't do anything about it, as if just printing more money and keeping rates low is somehow going to benefit African-Americans. The African-American community disproportionately suffers from higher inflation. And so if they're just going to keep on printing money because you have a lot of African-Americans unemployed, well, you're just going to make their lives even worse because you're just going to make their cost of living rise even faster. So now not only are they unemployed, but they've got to deal with inflation and unemployment simultaneously, which is worse than if they were just unemployed, but at least the cost of living wasn't rising that much. But if you're unemployed and your cost of living is rising even faster, well, you got the worst of both worlds. Powell was also asked about raising the debt ceiling and whether or not the government should default or all that. And of course, Powell gave the standard answer, I'm totally in favor of the government increasing the debt ceiling. And you know we need to raise the debt ceiling because the government always pays its bills and we have to make sure the government pays its bills. And again, I mentioned this on my last podcast, but if we paid our bills, we wouldn't have any debt, right? The debt is a function of the fact that we don't pay our bills and that's why we have all this debt. So what Powell really meant to say is we need to raise the debt ceiling so we can continue to not pay our bills and let the debt rack up. Remember, if you pay a bill with a credit card, you haven't really paid your bills because you still owe the credit card company. So if you go and you buy something for $1,000 at a merchant and then they send you the bill and then you take out your credit card and you pay the merchant, you haven't really paid your bills You've just substituted one bill for another. Yes, you've paid off the merchant, but now you owe the credit card company the $1,000. And now the credit card company starts charging you interest, so you owe more and more. You don't pay your bills until you pay off what you owe the credit card company. Then you pay your bills, right? You've paid for the product that you bought, and then you paid off the credit card company who loaned you the money. Now you've paid your bills, right? You don't have any more debt. The U.S. government never does that. Yes, it pays certain bills, but its debts always go up. Its debt never goes down. So it pays some bills, but it never pays other bills. 
And that stack of unpaid bills, the national debt, keeps growing and growing and growing every time they raise the debt ceiling. So what we really need to do is stop raising the debt ceiling so we can stop going into debt and start paying our bills, something we have never done. And of course, you know, the Republicans now finally, now that they have no power, they finally have religion and they don't want to vote to increase the debt ceiling. Isn't that rich? Right. Because when the Republicans controlled the White House and both houses of Congress, they were happy to raise the debt ceiling. Now they're claiming that, well, they don't want to do it because of Biden's big spending. He wants this big spending program. Well, Trump had big spending programs, too. Yet they had no problem running up debt to support his spending. Donald Trump increased spending on the military. He increased spending on welfare and he cut taxes. All of that led to much larger deficits, and the Republicans had absolutely no problem signing on to debt ceiling increases. They wait until they have absolutely no political power to where it's all just theater, and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, we don't want to vote to raise the debt ceiling. These guys are all a bunch of hypocrites. If you voted to raise it under Trump, then vote to raise it under Biden. If you refuse to raise it when Trump was president, then refuse to raise it now because there is no difference between raising it now and raising it then. In fact, if anything, it's worse to raise it now because we have even more debt. We have an even bigger problem. But the Republicans just want to play politics with the debt ceiling. That's all they care about. They don't actually want to do anything about the debt. They just want to use the ceiling as a political weapon. Powell was also asked to comment on the Evergrande situation and whether he was concerned about how that might impact the U.S. economy if he was worried about the degree of leverage in corporate America. And basically, he dismissed all of those concerns. He's not worried about Evergrande. It's not going to represent a threat to the U.S. economy. And by the way, he's not even worried about excess corporate leverage because he doesn't even think it exists, which, of course, it does because of the Fed. Everybody is over levered. It's not just corporations, it's households, it's governments, every sector and every government sector from the federal government on down to the states and the municipalities, the entire country is one gigantic over leveraged bubble and the fuel that has inflated it, all that air has come from the Fed and the Fed continues to blow air into those bubbles by continuing QE, by continuing to hold interest rates at zero. And all they do is pretend that at some point in the future, they're going to deflate this bubble without even acknowledging that it's a bubble. But the fact that they haven't taken any actual steps to do that and the fact that they seemingly contradict themselves and they say things that even superficially are obviously not true. Yet nobody really picks apart the inconsistencies the way I do in their very statements. Because, you know, when you're telling lies, it's always hard to be consistent. See, when you're telling the truth, it's easy because you just tell the truth and that's always going to be consistent. But when you're lying, it's really hard to always get all your lies consistent. That's why, you know, the police are able to bust people when they're lying and, and there are ways of questioning a witness and knowing when somebody is telling the truth. And when they're lying, it is very easy to tell the truth because if you tell the truth all the time, then it makes sense. But when you're lying, you don't get your lies straight. And sometimes you tell your lie differently. If you're telling the truth, it's never going to change because you're just telling the truth. But when you're lying repeatedly, your lies are going to change 
And sometimes your lies are going to contradict your other lies and expose what you're saying. And so that is what the Fed is doing. It's obvious to me. It should be obvious to more people. And the reason that we're still at zero, the reason they only talk about tapering and don't actually do it, and the reason they're reassuring everybody that liftoff isn't going to happen for a long time and we're a long way away from that is because they know damn well how over-leveraged everybody is, even if they don't accept responsibility, which they should because they've supplied all the alcohol and that's why everybody is drunk. But if they just think everybody is drunk and the Fed has no idea where they're getting this alcohol, even though they're getting it from the Fed, but they know how drunk everybody is, then they're not going to take away that alcohol. They're not going to do anything to bring about sobriety. They don't want the economy coming off of this high because they're afraid of what everybody's going to notice when they finally sober up, right? Because all these mistakes and all these malinvestments, you don't actually realize what you've done until you sober up and you're thinking straight. While you're still at the party, high as a kite, you don't know how ridiculous you look with that lampshade on your head and your pants around your ankles, But, you know, the next morning, either you remember it or somebody shows you a photograph and then you realize all the stupid things that you've done. Well, we're still drunk at that party doing a bunch of stupid things. The Fed can see that it doesn't want it to end. So it has to make up one excuse after another why it's not doing anything. But at some point, the markets are going to tire of this game. They're going to be tired of a boy crying wolf over and over and over again and a wolf never actually showing up, at some point, the markets are going to figure this out, understand the Fed's predicament, and then it's going to hit the fan. That's when you see the gold market explode. That's when you see the dollar market implode. But you can't wait. As I've said repeatedly on this podcast, you can't wait for that to happen to act. You need to be positioned before everyone wakes up, or not even everyone, just a significant percentage of those who are asleep right now wake up. That's all it takes. Not everybody, just a large enough minority to figure it out, and that's all it's going to take. So before that happens, you load up, you use these selling opportunities, and we had some selling opportunities earlier in the week. You know, we had a big drop on Monday. A lot of these Evergrande concerns over the weekend, weakness in the Asian market. So we had a big sell-off in the Dow on Monday, uh, recovered into the close. We've made up most of the losses Tuesday and Wednesday. Gold stocks still under some pressure. Gold hanging tight. Gold actually up on the week, even though it was down a bit today following the Fed speak. Uh, But overall, gold held up. Even if gold stocks went down with the market, gold itself held up. And in fact, I thought it was interesting on Monday, when everything was getting killed, I forget where the Dow was on the lows, down maybe 900-ish. It was never down 1,000. But even though the dollar was up against a lot of the currencies, like the Aussie dollar or the Canadian dollar, the dollar was down against the Japanese yen, the dollar was down against the Swiss franc, and the dollar was down against gold, because gold was up about 10 bucks on Monday. And, you know, I heard people, so-called experts, commenting on the fact that the dollar was strong. And they said, you see, this proves that the dollar is still the safe haven because everybody bought the dollar who was worried about the big sell-off on Monday, except that's not true because the dollar went down against the Swiss franc and the yen. 
So doesn't that mean that more people were buying Swiss francs and yen instead of the dollar? And also gold went up against the dollar. So that means people were buying gold and not the dollar. So I think the action in the foreign exchange market and in the gold market doesn't actually prove that the dollar is retaining its safe haven status. It's more evidence that it is losing that status as more people are preferring Japanese yen, Swiss francs, and gold to the dollar. And by the way, all you Bitcoiners, Bitcoin was also way down on Monday. So it didn't go up with the safe havens like the Swiss franc, yen, and gold. It went down with all the risk assets. So it is not a safe haven. It's a risk asset. And if it's a risk asset, what the hell is anybody buying it for? Because they're buying it because it's supposed to be a safe haven. If it's not a safe haven, if it's a risk asset, It doesn't have any place in your portfolio because if you want a risk asset, there are a lot of other risk assets that you can buy that I think have a lot more realistic upside to them with less downside. (music) 